Okay, in this episode, <laughs> Angela and I will be talking about relationships with my friend Bree, who is from my home group, We Agnostics. And Bree actually suggested this uh, topic for today's episode. And uh, we're just going to maybe talk about our past romantic relationships before getting sober and after getting sober, what we learned that helped us or hindered us in our relationships. And then Angela is going to talk about something called developmental model of relationships and how that can be challenging for people in recovery. Uh, Bree has uh, prepared um, some uh, an essay that, that she wrote about relationships that, and her um, thoughts on that. So there's a lot of good material here. Um, I don't know anything about the topic, so I think I'm going to be like a moderator unless they force me to to, to share something from my oh, past. Oh, I will. <laughs> but Good, uh, thank you. My wife came in and she said, "What's the what's your um, podcast topic going to be about today?" And I said, "Relationships." And she didn't say anything. She just kind of walked away. She's probably thinking to herself, "What the hell does he know about that?" <laughs> Maybe he'll learn something. Anyway, so good to be here. Um, how you doing, Bree? Fine, thank you. Thank you for uh, for inviting me to uh, to on this topic and stuff. Uh, I sobered up in 1994 in South Central Kansas, and uh, you know, actually, I was like most people. You know, I was heading for divorce, and uh, it was a done deal, and she was going to divorce me, and you know, and I sobered up for the wrong reasons to begin with, you know, and uh, then they convinced me that I had to sober for me and uh, not for my wife or family. And I got very lucky. And, uh, you know, she stayed with me and, and uh, we had the marriage that continued until she died of cancer. You know, we had 31 years uh, total together. So, uh, you know, as I was going into this, uh, into AA in my first few months, you know, at the back of my mind, I, I would uh, listen to what, the, what they would suggest that, uh, you know, our group was a traditional AA. They'd have first step meetings. You'd have a newcomer come in, and they'd go around the, town, uh, the circle and share their experience, strength, and hope, and their first step. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were drunk. Uh, you could, you know, a lot of them were drunkologues. And, uh, but I was always like, uh, kind of listening. It was, I always kind of noticed that during those meetings, especially the first five to ten years, you know, in South Central Kansas, they would talk about relationships. Somebody within the group, and they're an old timer, or somebody, you know, between three to five years, would talk about, you know, uh, not changing a relationship if you could mm-hmm. get away with it, you know. In other words, uh, if you're going to get divorced, there's nothing you could do about it, you know, you kind of had to accept the divorce. Um, if, uh, but if you were out, if you were single, they highly recommended not to uh, to date anybody, you know, mm-hmm. for that first year. And uh, the thought being is because you were drunk and you really didn't know who you are, you know, until you clear that alcohol out of your mind. You know, there's just so much to learn and so much to do. And uh, that seems to be pretty standard advice not to do, not to get into a relationship during your first year. I, I was told the same thing. But um, for me, I didn't really have a problem with it because it was like I, I didn't really feel like I was worth having a relationship with anybody at that time. So it wasn't too difficult for me. But um, Angela, you, you got in one pretty quickly, though, didn't you? 
Um, no, I, I had somebody that was interested in me, um, but, uh, but yeah, but, and my, my sponsor didn't tell me not to get into one, um, but other people did. And, uh, and they, um, the idea was that, uh, that I would be a different person after working the steps and, and after being sober for a while. And so it would probably, you know, not be in my best interest to be with somebody that I was attracted to early in recovery um, if I wanted to grow. And that made, made sense to me because I really didn't want to be the person that I was when I got there. Otherwise I wouldn't have, you know, shown up and, and tried to change. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but, uh, but that is something that I hear a lot and, and it, uh, it makes sense in some, in, you know, in a lot of ways, but I don't tell anybody that I'm working with, you know, that they should, uh, not get into a relationship. Um, I try to go with kind of what Bree said of, of the not making any changes if possible until you can get, you know, some more secure footing in sobriety. And Bree, you said that you, um, in, in what you wrote to me, that you, when you were um, new, you saw a lot of people that were getting into relationships early on that had some bad outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I first sobered up, we had several, in South Central Kansas, we had several, uh, several couples, actually. You know, uh, married couples and, you know, you know, just couples. And the older couples, uh, they stayed together, you know, until they passed. Or died, but the younger couples, I can't really think of a single one, uh, a single set of that couple, you know, that uh, survived, mm-hmm. uh, the relationship survived, you know. Uh, and then uh, sometimes in one instance, they did tore a group apart, you know. And, yeah. Uh, well, but the, a couple decided to start their own group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, when, uh, the, when they did that, you know, of course, uh, uh, the home group, you know, gave them some startup funds and some chairs and tables and stuff like that. And uh, anyway, it didn't go very well. You know, when they, when they got, uh, uh, when they split, uh, split their ways, went on different paths, the groups kind of took sides, you know. And I could, and I could see that, too, in, in that home group, you know. Uh, sometimes, uh, some of the, uh, some of the members just wouldn't show up if one member decided they weren't going to show up. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if, uh, I'm just going to throw a name out there. This is a fictional name, but like if Janie decided she wasn't going to show up to this, to the home group anymore, then, uh, Pauline and Angela and, you know, Natalie would follow her. You see what I'm saying? And we're kind of weak in the group. The unity of the group would suffer a bit. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. So, uh, so I've seen some of that go on. Yeah, yes. I've seen some with uh, with newer relationships too, where um, where it'll be a you know newer people in recovery and get into a relationship, and then uh, something will happen, and it can be very difficult on the group because one person will have a different view of how the relationship ended, and um, and it can be you know yeah uh, ostracizing that way, and and group members taking sides and and things like that, and people not feeling welcome. So um, so yeah, there's all sorts of fun stuff with relationships and recovery. <laughs> Yeah, that's very eloquently put. That's exactly what was going on, you know. Yeah. 
But as time goes on, and I move up to uh, North Stoneville, Kansas, and get a second, you know, home group, obviously, because I just didn't want to drive back and forth all the time. I did. I didn't hear so much about relationships, you know, on the first step meetings, right? It was just was like a taboo topic. Uh, it seemed to be anyway. Um, and there again, you know, there were several couples in that group. Now that group was a little more successful as far as couples go, but there were still, I mean, if if you would, uh, there would still be the same kind of problems, you know, or the same kind of not so much problems, but. You can see the same angst going on between the couples, I guess. That's what I'm trying mm. to say. And uh, also, of course, including this is the predatory. You know, some of these people, right. you know, they, they uh, even though they're sober, they don't change a lot of their, they, they for somehow they push relationships and alcoholism are two different things, right? Right. And so I've seen, and this encompasses all genders, but, you know, I've seen an old, uh, somebody with longer length of sobriety, you know, kind of force themselves onto the newcomer, you know. And uh, force probably isn't the right word, but uh, charm themselves. Right. To the newcomer. That's a better word. <laughs> right. uh, I'm more eloquent with a pen than I am with a mouth. So. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've seen a lot, I saw a lot of that too. And, uh, you know, then that's just it's just flat wrong. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I will say that it's uh, people were people in the group are very good about spotting that. You know, a lot of the old timers would spot that, and you could see them talk to that person you know, or talk to that person's sponsor, mm-hmm. and then have the sponsor relay. No, that's not a proper behavior, appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and then you know and. My my well, another thing I had about relationship is that, uh, you know, I got very I got very lucky, and I married and uh, uh, I saved my marriage with the Queen of the Alanons. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had somebody there to uh, tell me what to do mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time, and so I haven't dated in thirty four, thirty three years, something like that, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, I have questions, and uh, it's scary. <laughs> Right. Yeah. To me, it's just it's just kind of frightening. You know, how is this going to work? You know, uh, uh, and one thing I would like to mention is that I haven't seen this kind of angst or these particular problems in agnostic AA. Okay. Uh, so, but uh, you know, I've been only been with the group for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. the, and so, uh, and we haven't had a lot of face to face time in the last six months. Right. So, but it seemed to be. Pardon? I just figured something out. I didn't have my microphone turned on. <laughs> I was speaking through the um, the microphone in my webcam, and that's why my that's why um, people Peter out there said my voice was so bad. Okay, sorry. I've been totally um, off track and obsessed with my sound as as you guys have been talking. Okay, all right. That's okay. We didn't figure you had a lot oh, to offer on this topic I, I anyway, and so we were topic. just gonna you know keep going back and forth. Anyway. Yeah. That's what he said before the the show, people. So don't don't yell at me for <laughs> for picking on John. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny though. Actually, it's interesting. I suppose um, 
you know, when I first started dating um, as a young, young kid, I, and I didn't really date very much in high school, but I did, ha- I did have a girlfriend in high school. And um, that's also about the time when I started drinking. And I think that my drinking took um, was, was more important to me than, than my relationship or my drinking made the relationship really not possible. Um, she wasn't really into, I guess, being around a drunk person all the time. So we did get, seem to get along, but, um, when I was in, uh, you know, that was in high school and that's only had that one girlfriend and then in college, um, if, if there was ever, um, a girl interested in me and we would date inevitably, I would just kind of disappear and just drift away. So I really did. I really worked hard at avoiding relationships when I was, um, younger and in my drinking years. And, uh, that's just the way it was. And it really wasn't until I got sober that I did start dating. And that was a very long and slow process for me. So I didn't really have a lot of experience, you know. Um, and, I, and I just think it's because I was drinking so young. And I never really had that opportunity to, you know, to really develop in that way, I guess. Hmm, makes sense to me. Wow. That's almost my story. I mean, I, I couldn't remember dating without alcohol, Right. You know, I met the I met the Queen of the Alamans at a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. no, I remember as a sixteen-year-old kid, and I was in the car. Maybe I was a little older than that, and with the girl that I was dating at the time, and I was drinking in the car, drinking beer. And this is nineteen seventies. It wasn't that that uncommon, I guess, to be going around doing that. But um, I just remember her being really uncomfortable with that, <laughs> and me not really understanding why she was uncomfortable with that. Isn't, you know, isn't that weird? But that, that was, that was my mindset at that time. So anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, my, uh, my experience, um, is, uh, you know, I didn't, didn't really, uh, do any dating in, in high school and stuff. You know, I, um, was a compulsive overeater, so I was, I was overweight and, um, and in my college years, like my, my very first boyfriend, um, is somebody that, uh, was in Northern Ireland that I met on a bulletin board system. BBS is what they were called. Um, I learned how to get on there. It was like an old fashioned chat system that took forever, <laughs> like an hour per sentence to go back and forth. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we met that way and then, you know, wrote to each other when we were not in school and then he came, uh, to the States and would visit and stuff. And so that was my, my first experience with even like, you know, real dating. Um, and then after that ended, because I couldn't get it together, um, my life, um, uh, yeah, I would, I would pretty much, you know, fall for anybody who was remotely nice to me, um, and, uh, and, and that was pretty much all, all it took. It didn't matter if I liked them or not, um, or were attracted to them or not. If, if they seemed nice to me, uh, then I would, you know, fall for them. And, uh, so before, um, before I really got into the heavy drinking, I think I had one relationship that, uh, technically we lived together for, you know, I think a year, but I think we were only in relationship about eight months. 
Um, and, uh, and so fast forward to taking the, um, eating away from my repertoire <laughs> via gastric bypass. Um, then my drinking, like I've, I've said before my story, it went, came on full, full and strong. And within three months was, you know, drinking alcoholically and then blacking out within a year. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so that kind of uh, behavior isn't great for, for relationships either. And I, I really didn't know how to date. And, and uh, part of the reason I started drinking so hard as far as, you know, the cognitive, you know, that I remember is that people became interested in me and I didn't know what to do with that. I was always used to being the one in the back or the, the friend that the good looking one would bring alongside to, you know, do a double date or things like that. And so I was, I wasn't used to that and that was scary for me and, and drinking made that a lot easier um, and then when I got into recovery you know uh, not a lot changed as far as the the dating stuff like learning how to do it or anything um, you know I saw I, I had the the you know advice the collective wisdom of you know not getting into relationship um, but it really took the other person to you know keep themselves under control um, at first uh, because I could have jumped into that. Um, and then within a short time, um, I just wasn't one of the people that uh, that a lot of people were, or at least the guys in the room, uh, were interested in dating. Um, you know, <laughs> because uh, from the get-go, I was very outspoken and atheist. And, uh, and so, you know, I wasn't, um, you know even though I felt most of the time like I was helpless and, and a damsel in distress, I didn't present that way. And, uh, and so um, I thought, or, you know, I noticed a lot of guys in the, in the rooms I were attending, um, you know, were into rescuing and stuff. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't date that much. I think my, my first relationship or the first thing that I felt like was a, a relationship was, um, I think shortly before my third um, sobriety birthday. And, and I thought this was, you know, the best thing ever because it was somebody in recovery. And so then my imaginary dream of somebody that uh, I would wake up in the morning and we'd read our daily meditations together and have coffee on the, you know, patio or something like that was going to happen. And, and uh, none of that happened. He broke up with me using the very horrible line of my sponsor said that I need to break up with you. Oh. And I knew his, yeah, I knew his sponsor and I knew that wasn't true. Oh. <laughs> so, so, but it still hurt because uh, he was like the first person who actually said, I love you, Angela, and my last name with it, which is very much a movie type of a situation, you know? So I thought it was true love because of that statement. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, he broke it off. I was brokenhearted, played a lot of sad music, that kind of thing, had to go to different meetings so that we wouldn't run into each other. And, um, and started seeing somebody who was very, very nice, who was smart and fun and thoughtful and caring. And so I needed to break up with him pretty quickly um, and got back together with the, the you know, guy that didn't like me. And uh, that went for another two months. So that was pretty much my, my main relationship that I, I thought of um, in recovery. And so it wasn't until um, I had... Um, 
five years sober that uh, I met the person that I'm, I'm partnered with. And, um, and a lot had to happen in that time. I redid the steps with um, my, my sponsor. Um, I wrote a, a relationship ideal. Um, I think at the time it was called a sexual ideal because it went with a sex inventory, um, which was part of the way that, that uh, we did the fourth step, um, fourth and fifth step. And, um, but writing that out of how I wanted to be in relationship really seemed to help. And, and so, yeah, so after that, um, I've been in relationship and it's been, yeah, my Achilles heel, you know, <laughs> I've, I've stayed sober, but it's not, not, um, my strong point, of uh, romantic relationships. And I, and I've studied, well, we've studied for the last three years, um, you know, why that might be. And so I have a, a different perspective on it now and some understanding. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the thing that I think is, is somewhat common, at least uh, um, with people in recovery, um, like Bree said earlier, it's not something I am, that's talked about a lot of meetings. Um, the most that people usually say is, you know, the things that'll take you out are romances and finances. And, uh, and I think it's romances most of the time. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and then in the big book, you know, you know, is section, you know, when it gets to that, it's like we, uh, we all had a lot of uh, sexual problems and then kind of like goes in a different direction. You know, we're not <laughs> going to talk about that. Um, so, yeah, so that's been kind of my, um, my journey in a nutshell. Well, it's interesting <laughs> that so much of it seemed to center around meetings and something that Bree wrote about. Um, and I, and forgive me if you already talked about this when I was distracted, Bree, but that um, there there was a lot of predatory behavior going on in the rooms. Uh, did you already mention that, Bree, by chance? Yeah. yeah. You did mention it? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Mr. Short yeah. Attention Span here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. None of the stuff that I saw between or like in my own, you know, peer group as far as either age or sobriety time that, you know, got sober together um, was mostly, you know, mutual. Um, and, uh, and it was still, you know, difficult. I think some of it was like how much of that within the recovery realm, um, because if you did have problems, then a lot of your support went away if you broke up with the person, it, you know, because that's where all of your sobriety was, was it within the rooms. Also, the other thing for me personally um, that I learned was that I could uh, fall for somebody um, in the rooms uh, by just listening to them talk for like five minutes at a time for, you know, every week or <laughs> something like that, because I could make up what their their personality was outside of that five minutes. You know, most people can sound like they they have it somewhat together for five seconds five minutes, five seconds at least, but no, five minutes in a meeting. And then, you know, my creative mind would make up uh, their personality around what they said, um, idealized, of course. And then if I did even go out with them, you know, they couldn't live up to what I had made of their personality. And I'd be like, you know, you're not what I thought. And that's because I hadn't bothered to really get to know them. I had made up what I thought they were. Wow, that's well said. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I'm just sitting like here I thinking said, about that for 
<laughs> yeah, like I said, I've, I've been studying this. Um, my partner and I have read 15 books in the last three years. And, I've, and I'm not joking that I've listened to over um, 150 hours of podcasts. So uh, so I, I have a little bit of perspective. You, you think it'd be easier for me and then I'd be super excited about doing this episode. Um, but again, it's... Um, it's difficult, and, and uh, you know, when we get to it, I, I can share a little bit of my nuanced understanding of why now. But, yeah. So, Bree, you were, you were talking about in what you wrote here that um, you don't necessarily um, abhor the rules that are in AA, but that um, you, you do think that you do think that there, we should be practicing principles before personalities, and that plays a role in, in this topic of, of relationships? Well, it can, you know. So, you know. I was talking about, you know, the, the groups breaking up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, principles. I mean, uh, the personalities then become in front of principles, right? Uh, and I've also seen the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen some people just, uh, yeah, I've seen some guys, yeah, um, well, I, I think about that sometimes just with um, the principles before personalities thing. I think about, I mean, I can, I can see that with a romantic relationship, but I see that more with um, just other types of relationships I have with people in the program. Usually if it comes to like working with them on something, some sort of service work where things go wrong, you know, there's a disagreement or whatever. And so what I try to do is uh, like separate whatever, you know, feelings I have about that person as, as a human being and their actions and just kind of stick to the, I guess, the underlying principle, I guess, of what, of what I, what we're trying to do there, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do though. I haven't really applied that in my regular relationships though, but I guess I probably could, you know, just, it's a good way of just kind of taking out the emotion and my feelings a little bit about, you know, judging the person and just instead focusing on whatever the situation is I don't like. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. <laughs> I'm so smart. <laughs> like I, I said, say? you know, a lot of this, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's different. It's going to be completely different for me because I learned to uh, to look for relationships in either bars or churches, right? Mm-hmm. And the church thing obviously didn't work very well. <laughs> you know, I was out of there by the time I was 20, you know, mm-hmm. for good, you know. Um, you know that Mark Twain, uh, there's, a, there's a famous thing, I think it's in Tom Spoyer where they talk about being in church. You know, the little boy in church, that was me, right? You know, I'd be sitting there thinking, why aren't we fishing? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and of course, you know, my parents were always saying, well, you need to find a, a nice person in a church, a nice person in the church, you know, and it's like, well, you know, if you don't believe in that, then, you know, what's the point? So, uh, a lot of it, I guess, is, uh, a lot of the questions I have is, uh, um, you know, fear. Yeah. You know, when I started dating, um, it was, um, really after about, believe it or not, it was, I can't believe I waited this long, but it was about 10 years into my sobriety before I started dating. Um, I think I, I did have a few dates, you know, during, before that time, but it was really in that 10th year. 
And the thing that really um, helped me at that time is that was when the internet came about <laughs> and, and it was so much easier to, to find someone today. You know, I didn't have to worry about going to a bar or anything like that. You know, just go to, you know, whatever the site was and, um, you know, find someone. And so I found myself suddenly dating more than I ever had in my life. I mean, it was like I had so many, I didn't even know what to do with them all. And I met some really nice women, but it was a, it was kind of a good experience for me because it kind of, kind of got me used to the idea, kind of got me out of my, my shell a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I, I was more comfortable with the whole idea of dating. And so I was really kind of, kind of grateful for that, but that went on for quite a while. And I had, I had a few, um, relationships that lasted for a while, um, one for like two years, but, um, I, I really didn't find anybody and find, and I was kind of getting tired of the online dating thing. And the last date that I had was with my current wife. And I remember, going on that date. And I said to myself, this is the last date I ever go on. And I, I but I, I was just saying that, like, I'm just so tired of dating. I'm, t- I was getting really tired of if they felt like job interviews after a while, you know? And so I was like, totally burned out on it. And then I met my wife and it was like, we fell in love. And, and we, I proposed to her like six months after that first date. <laughs> so I, I was right. I didn't know at that time, but I, I will never, I never dated after that except for dates with my wife, I suppose. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. No, I did the online dating thing too. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it was gets old, hard. doesn't it? <laughs> it was, it was difficult. And, you know, and plus I'm, you know, a recovering alcoholic, politically progressive, vegetarian atheist in Idaho, you know, it's like, oh, wow. you know, yeah. so I, you know, I had like, you know, 10 people that, uh, that, you know, were probably interested. Um, and, uh, yeah, writing profiles and, or, you know, or people contacting me and not, there were quite a few people that would contact me that hadn't even read the profile that, that, that was just part of their repertoire that as soon as somebody new popped up into whichever, um, whichever dating uh, app, or, well, they weren't apps then, but whichever dating thing you were on, um, yeah, they would they would just message every single person. Did you put um, in your profile, Angela, that you're a recovering alcoholic? Um, I think in some of them I did. Um, oh, wow. At first, I don't know that, that I um, did. I, I can't remember. Um, but, uh, yeah, after a while, it was just a lot easier so that, you know, people could weed themselves out. Like if, you know, your idea of being in a relationship is going to the bar every weekend or, you know, big parties or whatever, then I'm probably not going to be um, be the best person to date. Um, yeah, that, so, cause that was always so hard when you, if you dated somebody for a good long time, you finally get to the point where, well, this person should know I'm a recovered alcoholic. You know, you, I didn't want, I didn't want to tell them that on the first date. And I thought, well, maybe when should I start telling them that? But I remember this one, um, who I dated for gosh, about a year and she actually wanted to get married. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't. But anyway, she, when I first told her I was an alcoholic, oh man, she looked, she gave me a look like you would have thought I told her I was a serial killer or something. She was so upset by that, you know? Wow. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It was like, I should have just left right then and there, but I didn't, I stuck around and she was, she was something else. She was a nice person. We just, we, we just weren't made for each other for sure. But, um, that was always an awkward thing. It's like, what, po- at what point do I bring this up? You know? Yeah. No, I, I guess that I was already in a space where it was a pretty important thing. So, 
again, uh, straightforward about that. The the closest experience I had to that is that a couple of years into sobriety, I, I had to have a hysterectomy because I have endometriosis and it had gotten severe enough that, uh, that yeah, it needed to be done because uh, I couldn't keep an iron supply in, in Anyway, um, and uh, and so there were a couple of people that, and one in particular that was like, "I just think that you're the greatest thing ever," um, but I want to have kids, and uh, and so yeah, he he broke up with me because I couldn't have children. Which you know, if Aww. that's the case, I'm I'm glad, you know. But it was it was uh, the closest to um, something that I was like, you know, it's not something that I can control, <laughs> you know. And, uh, yeah, but it, it, again, it ended up being a good thing because that would not have, have been a, a good idea. Um, one of the things that I went through, um, was, you know, given all of these factors that I've mentioned for dating, I had to open up my, um, mind on what, uh, relationship was. Um, and I explored open relationships and polyamory relationships and the kinky community and, you know, just pretty much everything. I, I was like, Hey, you know, let's see what happens. Um, and, uh, and so I learned a lot through that as well. And it, it really helped me to be able to, um, like I said, write that relationship ideal and, and pretty much, you know, the gist is, of it is that I, I wanted to remain interesting and interested in myself because it seems that I, I had observed a lot of people who would completely change their personality for the other person um, or, you know, it would get old or, or some sort of thing. Um, and that I really needed to work on accepting people coming into my life and people leaving my life without it necessarily having to be about me. And, uh, and that was a really, really huge thing for me. So it was, it was like the starting to come to terms with uh, taking emotional responsibility within relationships. And I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, now I understand that that's kind of what I, I was doing and, and, uh, and starting to learn. Yeah, that's really interesting that you were really trying, you were really um, discovering for yourself what, what it, what it meant for you, what I, you were, you were figuring out the ideal that you wanted to establish in your life for a relationship. It was like, you were really intentional about it. It was like part of your recovery that, you know, this is what I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what I believe for a relationship or what I want in a relationship, but I'm going to test these things out and see what, what works. That's pretty cool. You know, because like uh, my uh, childhood, my parents were, you know, divorced when I was two and and I had a stepfather for a while and he was not a good guy. <laughs> and um, and so then my mom, you know, got into uh, recovery uh, first Al-Anon and then realized she was an alcoholic as well. Um, but, uh, you know, she's been in recovery for over 30 years and uh, so got into Alateen and, and things. But I was still raised, you know, by my mom, by a single working uh, mother who had three children and um and so i never really saw a successful relationship I, you know like i had an aunt and uncle that remained married until she died um but they weren't happy they they were you know very very unhappy <laughs> and so so i really didn't have anything um to model after um other, other than television shows and we know how some of those ended um 
the idealized ones. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I needed to find out not only just, you know, my personal preferences, but, you know, kind of like, what is, you know, this relationship thing? And, and, uh, you know, I was still young enough too to be like, is it different, you know, now in this present day and age and, and things like that, what is relationship? And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I don't regret any of the, the exploring that, that I've done because, you know, I think it really, has helped me uh, become a more empathetic and uh, centered person as well. Imagine being now a younger person, like in your 20s or 30s, and you're single and um, you can't date because there's a worldwide pandemic going on. My God, isn't that, isn't that something? Well, I don't yeah. know that many of them are, are stopping. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, well, I guess I can't blame them in a way. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> that, that yeah, there sense, are certain, yeah. certain things, that certain drives that, over, yeah, that overcome that. Mm, know, that's really interesting, Angela. That's really interesting. <laughs> you know, I might I might be one of them too, actually. You know, I can understand <laughs> that. Because <laughs> that would yeah. be tough, you know. Good God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's a pretty good observation because, uh, you know, I live in an apartment building. It looks like dating's still pretty going on. You, know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you just, still notice it's going on. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, one from, of the things. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking that, in, you know, in my mind, you know, it's, you know, invisible tigers and bears out there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm just staying sequestered, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think now is probably a good time, particularly if you're in recovery for um, for exploring Zoom meetings, um, you know, so in your area or, um, you know, outside your area, because I'm developing a, a bunch of friendships um, with people who are outside my area that, you know, I'm hoping to be able to visit and, and get to know better, you know, in real life. Um you know, uh, once there's a vaccine. Um, so that I think has opened things up, you know, for me, you know, friendship relationship that is wise. So interesting. You know, it's like, I, like Brie and I were talking before we started recording that, you know, I feel like I um, am becoming better friends with her than I was when I actually would see her in face to face meetings. And it's like, there's something about these zoom meetings that you start talking to people or meeting people or, you know, finding you have more in common with them um, on Zoom and and maybe not so you wouldn't be doing that or I wasn't doing that in the face to face meeting. Um, but I, I do realize, too, I am I am a bit of an introvert. And when I'm in a and I do not I'm not one to do small talk and, and that kind of thing. You know, I I go to the meeting, I say my thing and I, I pretty much leave pretty much is how I operate. But. Anyway, yeah. but now I think we're reallocating our time, <laughs> you know, we're, or we're learning to reallocate our yeah. time. And so by, you know, having to change the way you do things and, um, and look at time differently, um, you make different choices or at least, you know, ideally that's, that's a, a good way to look at it <laughs> rather than I'm forced to do this now and I'm, I'm stuck here or that, you know, um, I usually try to, when I find myself saying I have to, it's like, okay, particularly with time management, like, okay, I, I get to decide what I'm doing with my time. And even if it's, you know, that I have to work and would rather do something else, you know, I'm making this choice. And, and so, um, so yeah, being able to choose to get to know people and spend time, you know, talking to different people that, that you're meeting and stuff. <laughs> So the phones are open if anybody would like to call and uh, let us know about, 
you know, your experience with relationships, uh, before getting sober, after getting sober, you know, um, you know, as AA, as the program, your recovery helped you in that way, has it made it more difficult? You know, I'd, we'd love to hear from you. It'd also be interesting to hear f- from somebody that's um, out there trying to date now during the pandemic. Are you really doing right. that? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. And maybe let us know if you're actually in a relationship or not, <laughs> even if you're trying to date, because uh, that, that's one of the things in, uh, in AA that, yeah, once I did start dating that, uh, that you know, I had to be very deliberate on finding out, you know, because sometimes, you know, I uh, thought they were in an open relationship and it just turned out that, no, that they were married and dating and uh, the other person didn't know. So, you know, save yourself a little bit of time if you're <laughs> in that <laughs> circumstance and dating now and, and find out if it's important to you. If it's not important to you, then, you know, do your thing. Um, but one of the things that we started to, to uh, talk about or bring up is, you know, um, some of the things that have helped us in um uh, in dating uh, from being in recovery. And one of the things I mentioned was, um, was the one day at a time uh, mantra that, uh, that that's been helpful to me in my relationship and that uh, it helps keep me uh, grounded <laughs> because I do tend to want to bolt. It's, you know, it's um, one of my coping uh, mechanisms is to uh, flee um, rather than fight. Um, you know, I will fight if, if I have to, but uh, flee is usually my first. And, uh, and so it's helped me in, in that way of that, okay, you know, I don't have to be in this relationship forever if I don't want to. So, you know, we'll, we'll give it one, one more day and then tomorrow we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. And, um, and usually that's uh, good because it can, you know, leave room to talk and to, you know, come back together and, and figure things out or, you know, uh, make amends if that's what I need to do or, you know, wait for the other person if that's what I need to do. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the one day at a time is also uh, was difficult for me, particularly at first, in that my partner wanted to plan you know, for life together, which, you know, was weird for me. I didn't know what that was, you know, and in my family, we didn't plan for retirement. It was just, you, you tried to do the best you could until you couldn't work <laughs> anymore. And then you hoped to win the lottery, Same um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so he's like, you know, and, and my partner is very, very, um, very <laughs> into research and organization and stuff. And so he literally had a spreadsheet of, of his life and our life together. And when we would move into a custom two bedroom and, you know, and then at what age we would need to move into a place closer oh to the supermarket so that we could still be independent and walk to the store, you know, as long as possible and things like that. So, yeah, so that terrified me, you know, and, and I thought it was controlling um, to, to try to think about those things and, you know, now I know, you know, yeah, you should think about uh, your future. It's, uh, it's part of being a responsible adult, you know, <laughs> to think about that so that you're not a burden to, you know, friends, family, society or whatever. But uh, when I got together and we started a relationship, um, I, I couldn't do it. I, I really could not um, fathom, you know, more than, uh, you know, a little bit at a time. And, uh, and part of it was that, uh, you know, I only have today. So why, you know, if I worry about it too far in advance, I might drink. And, uh, you know, that wasn't the case, but that's what I had in my mind. And so, so yeah, so some of the AA stuff became a, a hindrance on, on that level. Um, the other thing that's a uh, difficulty from, 
uh, being in recovery, I think, is that I have my own community of people that I know I can talk to and share things with and work through things with. And uh, my partner isn't in recovery. And, um, and so, um, so yeah, so ideally, I think it's good for both partners to have, you know, um, either, you know, their own friends and stuff, and then, you know, um, mutual ones as well, but to have their, have, um, you know, their own, um, people that they can go to, you know, other than each other, you know, so ideally you would go to your partner for most things, but, you know, as uh, we learn about the developmental model, there are certain times when you're just not going to do that. So having other people in your life um, is good, but it it also had caused some problems in mine in the beginning because I didn't feel like I needed to share as much with him because I shared it all with my group pretty much, you know. Um, One of the things that uh, was also good, though, um, with um, relationship from being in recovery was the learning to take personal responsibility. So I think it's helpful for those of us that have, um, you know, taken steps and then, uh, you know, gone through the steps, whatever worked them, uh, whatever your terminology is, is that we learn um, to take personal responsibility. We learn that we have a part in everything that bothers us, you know. And so I, I phrase it that way because, you know, yes, you can still be a victim, um, in, in situations, but, you know, even if that's the case, you know, I feel personally that I've learned that my part, even if I am the victim, is doing what's necessary to heal. And, um, and so by having that kind of a foundation, it's uh, very difficult to be in a, a argument or some sort of thing with your partner and believe that it's, it's all them and that, you know, and that they're the bad guy and, uh, and that if they wouldn't do this, that or the other, then everything would be fine because I've learned that, no, if I'm upset about it, then, you know, I need to figure out what my part is and take responsibility for that. And so, um, so I think that that's been a helpful thing uh, yeah. for me I, that's where i kind of have a problem because the the, my, the most difficult thing i have i have to whisper because my wife might hear this but the most difficult <laughs> thing i have is um i'm very reluctant to say like if something's bothering me or if i'm upset about something that my wife's doing i'm very reluctant to to talk about it you know i just hold it in and the next thing and it just bubbles up you know it just bubbles up bubbles up bubbles up and then i do something like you know it comes out in some way that that was that's not a great way to come out you know and uh it's just it's just horrible I, for some reason i just had that reluctance to avoid to to want to get involved in in a discussion about something that i don't like what's going you know what's going on here or whatever and, uh, and I don't know, I think, I think some of that's because I do have this habit of internalizing things. So if I have some sort of a feeling, um, that's uncomfortable, I just kind of take my own little inventory and do my own thing, but I never, you know, in this relationship with my wife, I never really, it's difficult for me to take it beyond that to say, okay, now I know where I'm coming from, but I really need to talk about this. I just, that's just so hard for me. Right. Well, I have a bunch of resources for you, John. Oh, do you? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I will, (laughs) well, I will also, you know, uh, post them at least in the um, AA Beyond Belief uh, group and then uh, give them to you that you can post them on the the website when you post this one. Um, But um, there's, there's three different um, podcasts that I listen to fairly regularly. One of them is called Relationship Alive. And there's, I think, 
uh, over 200 episodes of that right now. Um, and, um, and it's with Neil Satin. Um, but he has a lot of experts in relationship. And some of them are in recovery. Some of them are just um, therapists um, and a lot of different modalities. Um, and, uh, and so I've got a lot out of um, listening to those. You know, there are some that, that can kind of go off into the woo and, and things like that. But um, but a lot of the thought leaders in relationship right now and a lot of the you know pioneers in couples therapy um, have been on that show. And, and so there's a lot of helpful stuff. Um, you know, the the list that I made to share with everybody, um, I think, has, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, just six of the uh, the experts, you know, that I think are helpful. Um, and I put a link to, um, which episodes I, I think, um, are, are good for us to listen to as well. Um, and then, um, couples therapist couch. That's the one I listen to, to <laughs> because I'm a nerd and I like to know what the couples therapists are learning. Um, to help other people. So it's like, you know, if I can bypass the, <laughs> the therapist, then, you know, I'm good, right? Uh, no, it doesn't actually work that way. I, I, you, you do need to have somebody um, help you, particularly in relationship, because um, uh, we have attachment issues. And uh, depending on how long you've been in relationship, you can often uh, develop well, um, one of the people on here is uh, Terry Real, and uh, and he's worked with Esther Perel, who's more of a celebrity in the couples relationship thing. She has a podcast called "Where Should We Begin," and she's been on you know everything it seems like. Um, but uh, he's uh, Terry is one of us. <laughs> which whenever I say that, it makes me think of you know the culty type thing because I think <laughs> the Simpsons did something where they're like one of us, one of us, one of us. Um, anyway, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, um, and so he talks about that sometimes um, in his his uh, talks on relationship. Um, but one of the things he has is a, a concept of the core negative image that we have of our partner, particularly if we've been together for a while. And it's where we've kind of like clumped together all of the um, negative stuff that we don't like about the person. And, um, and then if they do that, then we, you know, we lump or anything that remotely looks like that, then we lump it that, you know, yeah, that's just who they are instead of having that open that, okay, this is one of the behaviors that they do sometimes that annoys me. It's just that, you know, so for him, he, he says that, you know, it's that he's late. And so if he's remotely late, his wife will like blow up sometimes and she's a therapist too. So that's always fun. Um, and, uh, and be like, you're always late and blah, blah, blah. And you're irresponsible. And, you know, and so um, the, the podcast that I have for that one to, for people to listen to, it's called Relationship Jiu-Jitsu. And, uh, and it's really fun. And, um, you know, I, I think it's helpful um, because what he has for fixing that um, problem is uh, cherishing is what he calls it. But, you know, we would probably recognize it as gratitude, you know, so working on, you know, the stuff about your partner that you're grateful for and um, and stuff. So. So that's one of them. Um, the developmental model, I guess I should uh, talk about that real quick um, before I, um, because in the developmental model, a lot of these uh, thought leaders are, are included, some of their statements. So one of the first links that I'll, I'll be giving people is, um, 
is to a document where they talk about the five stages of intimacy. And and I wish I would have learned this like early on (laughs) because I didn't know that this was how it works. And, um, but you know, we have our stage one, which everybody knows is the honeymoon period where they are just amazing and you're amazing. And the two of you are amazing together. And, um, and, uh, it can last a long time too. Sometimes I think it it can, it can. Um, but generally I think the average is about two years. Yeah, so it can yeah, be six uh, months two to two years. years. Time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so Bader and Pearson are the ones that have developed this, and I, I have a link, Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson, and and the way that she describes it is it's kind of like two disco balls um, when you first get together, um, and that um, all the mirrors and stuff are exactly matching up, so you're facing each other and they're exactly matching up, so you're only seeing in the other person the exact stuff within you that you like, and uh, and it's great, but you know then as the relationship goes on, the the balls start to move in different directions, and suddenly you're wondering you know how you ended up with um the antichrist and uh and they they call that um stage two or a conflict power struggle or differentiating Mm. and that's you know when you you see that this person is just not who you thought they were and this wasn't the relationship that you signed up for and um there's, you know, just a lot of conflict and um, and you find yourself feeling the same feelings you had as a hurt child. Oh, wow. And um, and so this is where, you know, some of the, the therapy models go into attachment theory more. Um, Angela, and, it's not uh, inevitable that you reach that stage, right? You don't have to go there. Yes. Oh, you do? Yes. In do, order really? to, yeah, to be a mature relationship, oh, you have wow. to go through these um, cycles just, you know, like like children do, okay. you know? And and so this would be kind of like the teenager phase. The, the teens have to um, rebel against their parents in, in some way. I mean, some of them do it more harshly than others, but in general, you know, they, they can do it like, say, what was that show? Family Ties, where um, where Alex was the Republican and the rest of his, his family was, was really liberal and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, Michael J. Fox, right, you know, that's what right. I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, and so they have to do that, and so even with helping raise, you know, my partner's children, I, I noticed that. And, and uh, you know, we talked about that, that this is how this one's rebelling, which, you know, is kind of funny because in most places it wouldn't be that. But one of them, um, her way of rebelling was saying that Santa Claus did exist and that she was going <laughs> to believe in Santa Claus, whether we liked it or not, you know, um, things like that. <laughs> so because they've been raised secular, so they, they knew from a young age, no Santa Claus. Um, anyway, so, yeah. So you go through that and um, and you start to learn uh, or the learning challenges of the stage is to um, maintain a clear sense of self um, and then to learn to soothe yourself and, and to not um, expect the other person to change and begin to tolerate discomfort and uh, and what comes as growth. Um, so stage three is practicing and creating partnerships and respecting differences. And so, um, so yeah, so it's more about teamwork, um, you know, and, um, and learning to deal with your differences. And, uh, you know, there can be some, some difficult parts of this. And I think a lot of people either um, break up before this, they can't get through the differentiating, um, or this is really where you have to, to learn to be able to, to give and, and take. I wonder and, if I might uh, be in that stage now, maybe. Yeah, and, and look at stuff. And, um, and yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are, you know, 
know, if you're in active addiction, then you can't get past this stage. Um, you know, if there have been affairs, then you, you can't get past this stage. You have to, you know, um, see some therapists that deal specifically with that. And if there's somebody who has anger issues or, or serious acting out, um, then, you know, you probably have never passed this stage oh my either. God, maybe I'm not in that stage. <laughs> Is there so, a better stage? So, yeah. <laughs> it didn't sound so bad at first. Right. No, it's not a, it's not a bad stage. It's, it, it's, you know, creating partnership. And, right. and to be honest, I think that, you know, for me, we've been together eight and a half years and this is where we're stuck at. Um, and, uh, you know, um, so, so yeah, um, stage four is reconnecting and reproachment and, um, you know, and, and that's where you start to reveal vulnerability more and be able to say, you know, Hey, um, you know, uh, be in conflict and be okay with being in conflict and trusting and, um, and, uh, in coming back together and, um, stage five is mutual interdependence. And it's, it's more of a, you know, just mature love. Um, you know, you have a solid sense of self, you're able to maintain that regardless of the other person, but you really want to do stuff that benefits the other person and creates energy and stuff like that. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to yeah. tell you after all of this was done. I've reached that, the highest you know, level. <laughs> you're, you're definitely at stage five in my expert opinion. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so that's kind of the developmental model. And, and I, I, when I learned about it, it was very helpful so that I knew that, you know, where I was at wasn't uncommon, that there's not necessarily something wrong with me or the relationship that we have to go through these things, just like we have to go through development to uh, become mature adults. And for some of us, it takes a lot longer. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, so that, that's uh, kind of a cool thing. Um, the other stuff that I'll mention is um, there's a lot of books out there. Um, I can uh, post a pic of just uh, six of them that I have, but um, there's the Gottmans. Um, they run the Gottman Institute in Seattle and, um, and they do a lot of, a lot of their stuff is scientifically based and they have the data to prove, you know, their, um, their theories and uh, why they do the things they, they do. Um, the good book I think for that one would be called eight dates, essential conversations for a lifetime of love. Um, and that really gets it at some stuff that is uh, often we don't talk about in, in early relationship um, that then becomes problems later. But the way that they create the conversations, you know, it doesn't phrase it as a if and or, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, ultimatum that your you know partner has to say yes to this or, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's really kind of a, a cool way of doing it. Um, there's Wired for Love by Stan Tatkin. I'm not as um, excited about this. I was at first, but um, the thing with him is uh wired for love how understanding your partner's brain and attachment style can help you diffuse conflict and build a secure relationship and um, there's good information in there just uh try not to if you get that one um get too stuck in the way that he describes the different um attachment theories because sometimes people over identify with it and say well i can't you know or i'm behaving this way because of this attachment kind of like people who say that you know i'm doing this because i'm an alcoholic and you wouldn't understand even if they've been in recovery for 10 years you know that kind of a thing um there's getting the love you want um which is a, a classic it's been around for a long time and it's um Harville and Helen LaKelly Hunt, and it talks about the Imago theory that they developed a while ago, but now, you know, can be explained through attachment theory of that you often marry the person or partner with the person that, um, 
that uh, brings out whatever your hurt is from your childhood. Oh so gosh. if your parent didn't uh, pay enough attention to you, then you'll find somebody and it's, and you find them on the subconscious level. They won't you know, necessarily look like your parents or act like your parents or anything like that, or whoever your main caregiver was. It's something that our subconscious seems to attract from the other person. And, um, and some of the theory in that, or the idea is that until you find somebody like that and work through it, you're going to keep finding that same problem over and over again. So no matter how many partners you try, you're still going to have to deal with that issue. And so, you know, trying to deal with it with the partner that you're with at the time you start getting into this work is probably ideal (laughs) because then you can work through that and, and be a better partner in general. Um, there's the book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. Um, it's written by uh, Chris Marie and Susan uh, B. Clark. Um, and, uh, and, you know, yeah, igniting passion, intimacy, and connection in your relationship. And so they talk about how conflict is a, is a good thing. And, and um, I think it's the only book um, by um, a uh, lesbian couple that I that I have in this collection that I know of. Um, but I've been trying to find more because I, I haven't heard a lot of it. Um, I've heard some podcasts that talk about um, different relationships that um, are, again, either like, you know, in the k- kinky community or open or uh, BDSM or or whatever. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, but um, I haven't seen any books um, that uh, that talk about it a whole lot. So if I find some, I will share them if people are interested. Um, Loving Completely is um, by Dr. Keith Witt. Um, he's kind of an interesting guy. And, and it does, um, if you're just starting to date, there's some good ideas in there on what to look for to make sure, you know, as you're going on dates, that, that the people are kind of meeting some of your standards. So kind of like the relationship ideal. Um, it helps talk about um, how you might go about making one of those you know, but it's more of in a secular context. Wow, you're really the, into this. You, 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 hey, almost, you, you could have been a therapist I told you two, <laughs> like almost 200 hours. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I know we're at seven o'clock, but just a, a couple more. So nonviolent communication, a language of life. This one is actually really good for just being in recovery. Um, so it's create your life, your relationships, and your world in harmony with your values. Uh, Marsha Rosenberg, PhD. And this is the one that my first sponsor uh, suggested that I get just to deal with my friendship relationships because I was getting my feelings hurt all the time and um, and then blaming them and then even when I tried to talk to them about it particularly if I tried to do it over email or something I can write you know somebody into a corner and um, <laughs> and even if I use I statements it's still their fault um, so uh, the nonviolent communication book is really good for um, to giving learning to phrase things so that you're giving people the benefit of it the doubt um, rather than assuming that they said or did something just to hurt you. Um, and yeah, and so those are some of the books that, uh, that I have in front of me. Um, some of the links that I have um, that I'll be um, posting are more, um, you know, again, the scientifically oriented um, emotional focus couples therapy by Sue Johnson that it, um, that has science and research behind it as well as the Gottman stuff. Um, and then the last one is Jordan blue. And it's um, one of the podcasts from the Ma, um, couples therapist couch. And, um, and she does a method she's calling modern couples therapy. And it basically takes like all of this stuff that I've just uh, thrown at you um, and puts it together. And it's really um, helpful, particularly for younger couples, because it gets through all of this stuff that's 
that's for a long time has been that you need, you know, years of therapy uh, to be able to do and says, no, you know, you can do this in 12 weeks as a couple. And, um, and it's very, yeah, it's very progressive. She doesn't like do the hold hands thing and, um, and talk about, you know, what your try to explore what your own childhood issues are or things like that. She'll just tell you what they are. <laughs> and then it cuts through all of that. So people leave like the first session feeling better about their relationship. Um, so yeah, that's some of the stuff that, uh, that I wanted to get out because I, like I said, I really do think that relationships are a tough one for people in recovery, um, because, you know, they, they're so deep and a lot of us didn't have a lot of good, um, examples of how to work through conflict in relationship and so we either avoid it and it, it bubbles up or we leave or um you know we're we just stay there unhappy because we don't know what else to do and so i've gone through all of this research to be able to point you guys in a direction so maybe you can cool. get some help faster than so i did if i ever get around to actually um fixing this podcast up and <laughs> the audio up and get posting it and we'll post all those links to it. I'm a little bit behind on, on all of that right now. I kind of, kind of got diverted into other things. There's like, gosh, four or five podcasts that I've recorded that I need to um, get ready to post and everything. So anyway, so this one will be coming way after that, but it'll be out on YouTube today, but just with some funky audio situations going on anyway. <laughs> And I'm sorry. I told you that I would whisper if you needed <laughs> me to, right. but you said no. So it's going to be interesting to hear the first part of the podcast when I didn't have my microphone turned on to see how that worked out. <laughs> so <laughs> that's probably the like lesson one in, in podcasting should be turn on your microphone. <laughs> and then pre- lesson two should be press the record button, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so well, yeah. you know, I, I feel like I came to the right place. You do? Um, yeah. Just, I'm not as fearful as I was. Oh, okay. So yeah. this has been fun. I'm going to go ahead and play us on out of here. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you would like to and can, we would appreciate it if you would help out the site and podcast by becoming a patron. Just visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash Belief, And you can uh, you know, donate a dollar, two dollars, whatever a month. That would be wonderful. You can also donate through uh paypal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief or just go to the website aabeyondbelief.org and click on the donate button but as always if you can't and right now a lot of people are hurting and they don't have a lot of money and, and if you're in that category please don't worry about it we just love to have you here so until then um you all take care be well we'll be back again next week with another live stream here on youtube and facebook Bye bye <laughs>